Good evening. Good to see you this evening. Hope everyone's doing okay. If you want to get out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 is where we're going to be studying from this evening. We've been looking at a number of Jesus' parables as we've been working our way through this section of Luke. We've seen a lot of parables coming back to back, uh, all with a very similar theme and a similar message that I think is kind of being summed up for us as we look at verse 13. So let's read that. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, "...no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money." The theme that Jesus has been talking about as we've been looking through these chapters is the idea of devotion to God. And the fact of the matter is, people are struggling with that as he's talking about it. He's explaining devotion to God in a way that that has never been taught to them before. And the crowds are hearing this, and the sinners and tax collectors are coming to Jesus, and the disciples are, are gathering around listening to this, and the Pharisees as well. But the Pharisees, as they hear these words that no one can serve two masters their responses are starting to evolve. It started out with, in chapter 14, kind of just ignoring it, not really responding to it, to chapter 15, kind of grumbling at the idea that Jesus would desire this and that the Pharisees and tax collectors are coming to Him. But now, whenever we get to chapter 16, we see that they've shifted as Jesus reveals verse 13. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, this is Luke, "...the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things, and they ridiculed Him." So the Pharisees have heard Jesus' words about being devoted to God, being shrewd stewards of the things that God has given us, and, and using those things to serve God, being fully devoted to Him. And in response to that... The text tells us that they ridiculed Jesus. Think about what they might be saying. As they hear from Jesus, you can't serve God and money. What might they say in response to that? What is he talking about? Jesus is crazy. He's radical. Of course you can have money and still serve God. That's ridiculous. What is he talking about? We serve God every day. We fast, we tithe, we pray, we do all these things to serve God. You can serve God and still have money. That's not that big of a deal, Jesus. What are you talking about? Jesus is wrong in this. He is preaching error and we don't need to listen to him. He's not teaching the way that we teach. The idea is they're ridiculing his teaching as though he's teaching some grievous error against the Pharisees. That's not true. Notice how Luke calls them lovers of money. We find in this a description and a reasoning behind their ridicule. They're ridiculing Jesus because he hits on the thing that they love. And they can't stand the idea of that being wrong. So they speak up. And they're upset about this teaching from Jesus. And they're not going to stand for this because their lives have money as the center. And Jesus is telling them that because they do that, they really hate God. And they don't believe it. 
They don't believe that they hate God. Well, Jesus responds to their ridicule in verse 15. And He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is is an abomination in the sight of God. Listen to what Jesus says to them. You, You are those who justify yourselves before men. You think that what you're saying is making sense, and it may make sense to everyone around you. As you ridicule me, it may make sense that you're, you're saying these things. As you're defending yourself, you're justifying your actions. Your love of money is being justified. You may think that you are able to stand on solid ground because of your arguments. But he says, in fact, God knows your hearts. And what you are exalting, as you exalt the money that you love, you're exalting an abomination. That word abomination is a very strong word, isn't it? We've been hearing that word as we read through the prophets in Ezekiel. Abomination is often referred to as the idols that are being worshipped by Israel. That It's an abomination for them to be worshipping these idols. And here we have Jesus calling their love of money an abomination. This is their new form of idolatry. That they have. Their love of money is showing that they're replacing God with money. The very thing that Jesus said not to do in verse 13. You can't serve both. You can't have both be your God. And Jesus makes this point very clear that you cannot serve God in money. And he's, they're, but they're justifying themselves. They're saying, but yes, we can. We still serve God. We're still doing the things that God has commanded us to do. Well, does that make sense? Can we still do the things God commands us to do and still have our money and still love money? Well, you know, we can, we can say, well, Jesus said you can't love money, so you can't love money. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. But think about this. How do we feel about our money? We like it. We, we enjoy having a lot of it, whenever that happens. Maybe it doesn't happen as often as we like. We like to use it to our benefit. We enjoy uh, the things of this world with it. We, we eat good food with it. We drive new cars with it. We have nice houses with it. Is it really so bad for us to have money? And can we not serve God and have our money? Why not? Well, Jesus helps us understand this a little better as He tries to help the Pharisees understand this a little better. He gives three reasons why, why loving money is a bad idea. The first reason is found in verse 16. He says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Well, that's interesting. Why in the world is Jesus saying this in response to their ridicule of Him and their justifying themselves? Why is He now saying the law and the prophets were until John and since then the good news of the kingdom is preached and everyone forces their way into it? What does He mean here? 
Well, notice how he points to the law and the prophets and he points to John and he makes the point that that these things are preached and these things are exclaimed so that everyone can understand what the will of God is. God has been showing the Jews His will since the beginning. The law and the prophets have been presented and even now we have that period of silence ended with John coming and proclaiming the good news. And still, here we have everyone forcing his way into the kingdom of God. That's an interesting phrase. How in the world can anyone force their way into the kingdom of God? Well, it doesn't really make sense, does it? If God doesn't want you in, you can't make yourself go in. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Well, let's understand a little bit about what John taught and understand and think a little bit more about what Jesus is saying in this text. You go back in Luke to chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Listen to the teaching of John as he came uh, preaching the good news. Verse 7, it says, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. The message of John the Baptist is very similar to the message of the law and the prophets. And the message is, you have to repent. You have to change your life to be fully devoted to God again. You have to give up all your idols. You have to give up all the sins in your life. You have to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Is this not what Jesus is preaching and telling these Pharisees? You're justifying yourself. But as He answers them... You've been given the law, you've been given John, you've been giving everything you need, and still you're doing what they did in the beginning. You're saying, I repent of my sins, but you're not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Instead of bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, you're justifying your sins, and you're thinking that God will allow you to enter into His kingdom with your sins intact. But Jesus says, you can't force your way into the kingdom. Instead of repenting, they're justifying themselves in an attempt to enter into the kingdom. Jesus is pointing out, you can't do it. So justifying themselves isn't going to work. We can't say, I repent of all my sins, therefore let me in the kingdom with no intention to forget to repent of our sins, with no desire in our heart to make a change in our lives, to do things differently, to, to put away the sin that's in our lives, to stop loving money, and to start loving God more than we ever have. It's a bad idea to try to just, justify yourself because you can't enter into the kingdom if you're still doing that. But... He tells us a little bit more as you go on in in verse 17 and verse 18. He says, But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. 
Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Notice how Jesus continues to talk about the law. He talked about it in the, in the sense of you're not repenting of your sins and you're thinking that God's going to let you in the kingdom. And now He talks about it in the sense of you're trying to change it. Do you really think that by making justification for your sins that somehow you're going to be able to change the truth that God has revealed? Jesus says, it's more likely for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to be made void. But then he does something kind of weird. He, he brings in a discussion about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Like, what, what is this doing here? You're talking about loving money. Why are you talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Well, read again what he says. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Why bring this up? Is this not a part of the law that they are making void? The teachings that we read throughout the Bible and in Matthew 5 is that they're trying to justify divorce by saying, I gave you a certificate. And now everything is okay. I can now divorce you. I can now break the marriage covenant. And we can go on marrying other people. Notice in this text, he doesn't mention the exception. The only exception for uh, having divorced is sexual immorality. He doesn't even mention it here. He just clearly says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Why would he say it like that? Why wouldn't he bring in the exception in this case? He's making a very strong argument here. You are nullifying. God's command to keep a marriage covenant. He's bringing up one of, the, one of the most extreme examples of the Pharisees justifying their sinfulness. You have decided to desecrate the marriage bond. The thing that God has used to show as an example of His relationship to us. You have counted as nothing. Through your own self-justification. But God's truth does not change. You can't come up with reasons and rationale to change what God has said to be true to meet your own desires for what you wish were true. That's what he's telling these Pharisees. They've justified breaking the marriage covenant and and they can't do that. It's wrong. You can't do that. You can't justify your sin because our justification does not make our sin okay with God. We may want it to. We may wish that, that we could change things. For the sake of those who are in a very awkward and very sad position, we may wish we could change God's laws. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what we wish or what we want to be true. God has revealed it to us that we might obey it. Well, that sounds really hard, but it's the truth. 
And it's the reason why it's a bad idea to try to justify yourself. Isn't this one of those areas where people can really try to justify themselves? And yet Jesus brings it up to say it doesn't work. The third reason is very interesting. Jesus gives a parable to us in verses 19 through 31. The parable goes like this. There's a rich man. And man, is he rich. He's got everything. He's got very nice clothes. He's got a nice house, even with this really nice gate around it to keep out all the riffraff. He's got feasts every day at his house. He's got everything that he could possibly want in his life. And then there's this poor man who sits outside his gate named Lazarus. And this poor man, he's starving to death. He's wishing he could just sit under the table like a dog, like we talked about this morning, just eating the crumbs from the table. That's what he wishes for. That's what he dreams for. But he never gets it. Instead, he gets dogs coming up to him, licking his sores. That's what he gets. And so, these two men are are living along in their lives, and suddenly there's a change. They both die. The rich man has this great, grand burial, and, and like all the rich men do, and everyone comes, and it's a big, big celebration. Oh, he's, he's made it to the promised land. Everything's great. We're going to bury him in his tomb. Everybody's there. It's a great event. The poor man has his body thrown away into the valley of Hinnom and burned up. We don't, we don't really... It's just... He's a poor man. He's, he's burned up like the criminals. Nobody cares. But, at the same time, that their bodies are being done away with, their souls are in the land of Hades, or the, the realm of death. And the rich man finds himself in a lake of fire, in a place of torment, and he looks up and he sees Abraham afar off. And he sees Lazarus standing next to him. And he says, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus to touch his finger into some water and and drop it in my mouth that I might be refreshed because I'm in this place of torment and it's never ending. Please. And Abraham says, Child, in your lifetime... You had all the good things. And Lazarus in like manner of the bad things. And now you are in this place of torment and he is in this place of comfort. And besides that, there's a big chasm between us and nobody can cross over from here to there. And nobody can cross over from there to here. So the the rich man says, okay, well, please send Lazarus to my brothers so they don't share this fate with me. So they don't suffer like I'm suffering. Send him to them. They'll listen. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. No, Father, please send him. They'll listen. If someone's raised from the dead, they'll listen. And Abraham says, no. Even if someone is raised from the dead, they will not listen. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Why does Jesus tell this parable about the rich man and Lazarus 
and their end. Whenever he's talking to us and to the Pharisees about their love of money and their justification of their self and their sin. Well, this tells us that justification is a really, really bad idea. It's going to end badly for the Pharisees if they continue to justify themselves. The rich man is this example for the Pharisees. Oh, he's a child of Abraham. He's calling out Father Abraham. By all external appearances, he is a great and righteous individual. And everybody probably rejoices with him on a a daily basis. All his best friends and family, and, and they love the guy. And they probably think the world of him. But like the Pharisees, this rich man loved to be rich. This rich man loved his money. He loved it so much that he couldn't see fit to give a little bit to Lazarus to help him out. Like the Pharisees, the rich man justified not giving and justified refusing to listen to God's words about the oppression of the poor. And instead, he sought to enjoy himself on this earth. So the Pharisee is going to join the rich man in the place of torment if he continues down that path. So Jesus is is helping the Pharisees to understand, you don't want to do this. You don't want to justify your sins. And He gives us the poor man to show us that those who find no comfort in this life will be comforted in the life to come. It's okay. The suffering in this life will one day end and it will be okay. Well, what's the message of all of this for us? As we look at at this whole section where Jesus gives us uh, an an answer to their ridicule and, and telling us about justification and how if we decide to justify ourselves, it's not going to go well for us. It's a bad idea. The message is clear. If we choose to love money, to love pleasures and to love comfort, we can hide the fact that we're not okay with God from ourselves. That's what the Pharisees are doing. And we do that by justifying ourselves. Has anybody here ever justified your your sin? Who hasn't? We've all done it. We've all justified ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm going too fast. Oh, but I'm in a hurry. You know, I'm... I'm I'm spending too much on myself. Oh, but I need it, you know. Uh, I, I couldn't make it to Bible class tonight because I'm too tired. I couldn't make it to church service tonight because I have to do this thing for work that wasn't really obligatory. I didn't have to do it, but I really needed to do it in order to get ahead in my job. Or something like, I couldn't help somebody because I need to spend time with my family and I need to make sure that uh, they're taken care of, even though I spend, you know, 50 hours a week with them. I mean, there's, there's a number of things that I can think of that I do. We all justify ourselves. We all think, well, it's okay in this case because fill in the blank. Because if I do, if I give up this, 
I will be uncomfortable. That's a big one. If I say this to someone, it will mess up the good thing I've got going with them. Self-justification is everywhere. It's in, it's in all of us. We struggle with it from day to day. And we don't even realize that we're struggling with it. I mean, we hear, I hear preachers doing it. I hear preachers giving some reason for leaving the work. As though it's okay because my family is so important to me and, and I need to do this or that. And I, or I, really, I really think that God wants me to go back into the secular work and, and, and spend time working. And I mean, I hear that kind of stuff. And it's like, are you seeking God first? Are you really seeking God first? Is He your desire? Are you devoted? Our justification can be hidden from ourselves and we can deceive ourselves. But we can't hide it from God. God knows our hearts. And when we choose to justify ourselves... We need to know that it's not going to work in the end. It's not going to work out best for us. If we continue in the sins that we're justifying, it's not going to work out well for us in the end. That's what Jesus makes clear for us. We can't enter into the kingdom by justifying ourselves. We can't change God's truth by justifying ourselves. And in the end, it's going to go really bad. Because we're not listening to Moses and the prophets. We're not listening to the Word of God that clearly directs our steps and tells us not to do this or not to do that or to do this or to do that. And when we don't listen, we're finding a way to justify not listening. And that's what they were doing. And that's what we can do. This is why Jesus goes on to tell the the disciples, pay attention to yourselves. This is easy for us to fall into. This is, this is very, very easy for us. So what, what can we do when we see ourselves? Okay, I've got this big sin that now uh, Casey's saying all this. Oh, well, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time now. I've been acting like this is okay, but it's really not okay. And I kind of knew it, but okay, it's a bad idea. I need to stop. What can we do to help it? What can we do to stop doing this before it's too late? Well, first of all, we notice as we look at this text, the Pharisees are failing to admit their faults. They're ridiculing Jesus saying, I don't, I'm serving God, I'm not doing anything wrong. We have to chisel away our hard heart. And we have to open ourselves up to be real. To be authentic. To say, I messed that up. I've been doing wrong. And I need to change. I can't tell you how many times in my life, since I've been a Christian, I've looked at myself and I've looked at this one thing that I've been justifying and that I've thought, wow, (laughs) that's wrong. That's really wrong. And I'm making it okay, and it's not okay, and I need to change that right now. That's what we have to do. We have to come to this realization, that's really wrong. That's not okay with God, and I need to make a change. But it's not just enough to say that it's wrong. 
to say, yeah, I'm probably doing this or that wrong. And, you know, I probably could make it to services here or there. The next step is to, to change your life. Pharisees are justifying themselves. They have, a, they have no desire to give up their money. So they'll say, well, I don't really love money. And they'll, they'll admit, okay, one time I had a money problem, but now I don't love money. I've just got a lot of it, and uh, right now I need it. We can't just admit that we've got the problem. We have to now make the change in our lives. We have to do something about it. We have to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Like they can't rely on their connection to Abraham. We can't rely on our baptism. We can't rely on uh, the fact that we've come to church for so long. We can't rely on the fact that we, we know people who are really spiritual. We have to make the change in our own lives. And that means we have to give up the comforts that are in this life. If, if we're sinning to keep the comforts, and we repent of the sins, no more comfort. But that's okay, remember? Jesus is telling us that Lazarus is suffering in this life, and what's our life going to be? What, 50 years more, if that? We don't know. So we suffer in this life. What is that compared to eternity? A little blip. It's nothing compared to eternity. We have to make the change now because it matters for all eternity. And this life is temporary. The discomfort that we feel because we stop doing the sin or we we start doing something that's really hard is going to be worth it. So what sin do you justify in your life? Think about it. We know that this is a temptation we all have. We can see it in ourselves. We can see it in our spouses. We can see it in all those around us. You can probably even see it in me sometimes. And if you do, it's okay to tell me. (laughs) We need to be willing to talk to each other about this. Because the truth is, we can't force our way into the kingdom. We can't say we repent and not repent and still enter in. We have to make a change in our heart. Our desire has to be for God because He knows our heart. And we can't change God's will on the subject. If it's some sin that is clearly laid out in Scripture for us, we can't convert or bend the Scriptures to make it say what it doesn't say to account for our situation. How many people have we known on the marriage, divorce, remarriage topic who've come to the conclusion, well, maybe I can't remarry. And then they just read a whole bunch of books And then they find somebody who's got some reason that they can now get married and then everything's okay. We can't do that with any of our sins. Whatever it is. We can't love money. We can't love uh, immorality, sexual immorality. We can't love any kind of covetousness or any of those things that are sins in this life. We can't love that more than God. And though we fall, and though we mess up, 
We can't love it more than God. Because we won't be able to change the outcome if we don't repent. Once we get to the end, once we're in where we're going, there is no swapping sides. There is no changing our situation. There, there's not uh, purgatory where we can work things out. That's not how it's illustrated to us. It's we have this lifetime to enjoy all the good things or to suffer to glorify God. And what we choose will make all the difference for eternity. So what are we going to do? Are we going to admit our wrong and give up our pursuit of self-justification? It takes humility. It takes a lot of pain. But it's worth it. I hope that you'll consider these things as you think about yourself as I think about myself. To make a change in our lives that, that glorifies God, that puts God at, at the head, at the center of our lives as the most important thing. That we might be devoted to Him and glorify His name. If anybody here has not put on Christ and you know that you need to make that change, please make that change. And if you're, you're living in sin and you're justifying it, please make the change now before it's too late. If you need to come, please.